Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast. Well, I'm David Staples of the episode. Bruce McCurdy, who's having a paper malfunction or some sort, I guess. Right? Paper chase. Paper chase. What a great TV show that was. Yeah, yeah. It was our mandatory 1970s pop culture reference. You come with a mind <laughs> full of mush and you leave thinking like a lawyer. Bruce, <laughs> no show prepared me for university more than the paper chase. I was scared, crapless, going to university that was going to be this uh-huh. incredibly difficult thing. And it it wasn't as difficult as the paper chase made out, but th- that was a fantastic show. All right. The Oilers. 2-1 victors over the Vancouver Canucks and quite a, I think, a strong performance by Edmonton by our grade A shot count, which is a little bit preliminary, but we have it, um, we have it at, what is it, 17 or 16 to 7? Yeah, there's one, one, one uh, chance that's kind of questionable that uh, I'll need you to, to vet. Yeah. But I did the first period before David got home from his hockey, and I had the chances that period of 7-0 for Edmonton. So maybe I'm biased. Uh, but uh, I thought Edmonton really had the better of the first period. Vancouver had some chances, but their shots weren't on the net, you know? They weren't all how, night, Bruce. All night. And that's how we, that's how we uh, count chances. So Yeah, I got screwed up with my VCR. What is it? It's not VCR. It's PVR. PVR. Mm-hmm. PBR tonight and I so I'm going uh, having not seen the first period I need to come oh yeah that. so I did see the second two periods and um you know I watched Fogel's goal of course as well but I'm going to go back later and review the first period because I'll be able to tape the game anyway well, Bruce they'll rebroadcast it in the overnight hours I'm thinking April. that's what they usually do yeah hopefully so um you know the just a strong performance from owners, and we'll just dive right mm-hmm. in here. Two good things, two bad things. And two numbers podcast, Oilers win means two good things each. What's your first good thing? Well, two points and uh, and a 2-1 win with the power play going two for two. I think I have to go with the power play. Edmonton <laughs> Oilers power, devastating power play that has scored in every game this year and has scored two goals in four of the games and one each in the other three. Uh, so 11 power play goals on the season. And in many, Edmonton wins the season, including tonight's, the power play was the difference. And uh, um, tonight they got a rare goal from the second unit with uh, Warren Fogel scoring with one second left in the first power play uh, as the second unit came on and did what the second unit rarely has done in past years. Uh, in, the la- in the last two years, David, by my count, the order scored 99 power plays, and 94 of them were scored with Leon Drysaddle on the ice. So that's my definition of the first unit. And he played, you know, 80% of the minutes, but 95% of the goals. The second unit has not been effective. But they were. They got uh, they got a decent shot towards the net. It got deflected on the way in, and Warren Fogel went to the dirty area near the edge of the crease, and he... And he uh, um, Got, you know, leverage, got his feet down, and he overpowered both the goalie and the Vancouver defenseman that were kind of diving for the rebound, and Fogel just powered it home. So that's a, a bonus power play. You don't expect too many power play goals from Warren Fogel, but uh, we'll sure take that one. And then <clears throat> they got one more power play late in the second period, and, and uh, they scored in a more traditional fashion. First of all, uh, uh, with... 
Dreisaitl getting set up by McDavid and getting robbed by Zach Hyman, who had his skate just inside the post where the puck was going, was that all the <laughs> Vancouver players beaten. And yeah. did Hyman skate and went out. I don't, I don't know if we should call that a chance or not, because Hyman was the guy. Not. Didn't, didn't. It was a block shot on the goal block line. Block shot like, by the Oilers. If it hit the Oilers in front of the set. net. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, th- that was a sure goal that didn't happen, but uh, no matter, maybe 20, 30 seconds later, uh, they uh, they do it again with uh, McDavid getting a secondary assist uh, when his block shot went right to Nugent Hopkins, and Nugent did exactly what he did in the same situation in Las Vegas last week. Right from the slot, he jumped on a loose puck and immediately passed it off to Leon Drysaddle at the bottom of the right circle. Leon pounded it home the way Leon typically does. And that turned out, in the end, it made it 2-0, gave the order some breathing room, and in the end, they needed it. That was the game winner. Yeah, the the Hyman block, like I've I kind of changed my nomenclature for our describing things. I, I call them grade A shots now rather than grade A chances because um, shots are on net and um, mm. that didn't hit the net because it was blocked by an order. So it was definitely like, you know, people would get a hop. Like, how could that not be a chance? How is that not an opportunity? Yeah. It obviously was. So I'm just yeah. calling them grade A shots now. Um, and we do count posts. Just, uh, and we do very, post. very rarely when the defenseman makes a goal line save that, where the goalie's beaten and the defenseman yeah. of the other team does a hymen. <laughs> Fogel, I'm I'm liking uh, Fogel mm-hmm. a lot. Played a strong game, didn't he? He is a powerful guy out there on the ice. He's kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, you know, kind of a cross between uh, Shane Corson and Bob Nystrom. You know, I don't know if he's quite at that level, but he's a good player and he's a power forward and the owners needed a player like that. So uh, I like, I'm liking what I see from, from Fogel. And of course, Nuge is leading the league in assists for a reason, right? Like there's nothing better than setting up uh 10. Yeah. Nothing better than setting up uh Leon Dreisel for, for the executioner's shot. Bruce, you know, Bruce years from now mm-hmm. when we might not remember much else, you know, about, the, the Oilers of this time. Of course, some people have better memories like you Speak than others. Speak for yourself, David. <laughs> yeah. Um, that image of, of Dreisaitl scything in the puck from that oh, yeah. spot will be, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just su- such an iconic moment. And, you know, the other one, of course, is McDavid on the rush. Those two things are the, the um, I think, what defines, like, you know, it's like the Cur- Gretzky to Curry for the one-timer. And maybe I don't know with Messier it's and Anderson it's a little different, but I I always remember their famous play where he would Messier would go around the behind the net and then drop it back to Anderson who would who who was coming in, in on his trail and his jet stream or his wake and would slam it in the net. Maybe that's not as quite as uh, up there with the Gretzky to Curry one timer. I mean, and you know the Paul Coffey rush would be another one, the fear save, but those that shot from Drysaddle is just it's just such an unforgettable sight and they they know it's coming but they cannot stop it Bruce my good thing is Evan Bouchard um I don't know if it's too early to say he's cemented into the top pairing but man he is playing well he is playing well in the top pairing he just um he's so calm with the puck he makes such great decisions with the puck I don't know if there's an Edmonton Oiler who makes better decisions with the puck than uh, than Bouchard consistently. Like he's just not turnover prone, and he he he's handling it so well. 
So uh, and just a few examples here. What's this? This looks like the he really came alive in the third period. Uh, McDavid uh, popped the puck out into the slot and Hyman managed to tip it over to Bouchard. And this just immediately Bouchard makes the beautiful return pass to Hyman, who then finds McDavid down low for the first of a number of five alarm chances that he had on Thatcher Demko, who who just robbed McDavid. Um, a little bit later, uh, what do we got here? Bouchard wins battle. Tourist baps it ahead. Oh, yeah. This, this is in the neutral zone. Uh, the uh, Canucks are coming down, and Bouchard just, you know, steals the puck cleanly, moves it ahead, and Tourist baps it ahead, and McDavid's in on a breakaway. So, uh, and a moment after that, he takes an outside shot, which Nurse tips on net for a dangerous chance. He's, he, he is, you know, when you draft a defenseman 10th overall or whatever it was, what was it? Was it 10th? You're, you, that's a coin flip. Either he, it's about half the time, maybe less than half the time, he's going to be a good NHL player. Half the time, he's going to not be a good player at all. And for a, for a defenseman like this, if he does become this number one D-man, which he is becoming before our eyes, top pairing D-man at least, um, I mean, I wouldn't mind, like at this point, if Nurse and Bouchard were teamed on Team Canada in um, at the Olympics, Bruce, it wouldn't be a terrible idea. Like there's worse ideas than that. That could help Canada win a gold medal. That's how well Evan Bouchard's playing right now. He's he's, he's just killing it. So he's my good thing. Okay. He, uh, he certainly had a strong game and the uh, Oilers dominated the uh, uh, the puck possession and the shot shares tonight. Uh, uh According to Natural Statric, which has a clearly has a sense of hurt humor, uh, Bouchard had a Korski of 27-4 and 14 against, and a Fenske of 24 and 9 against. They actually used David uh, Dave Staple or David Tippett's Tippet. terminology <laughs> in their game summary at Natural Statric. I so saw that. That was really Korski and Fenske. It's pretty funny. And uh, the shot share for uh, Bouchard was 14-4-6 against in actual shots on goal. So Edmonton dominated the action when Bouchard and Nurse had very similar numbers as well. In fact, slightly better for Nurse. And they uh, uh, they were in control uh, yeah. for most of the time that they were on the ice. Didn't give up a whole lot, eh? Pardon me? They didn't give up a whole lot. They no, I mean, they didn't, Bruce. They were just—they're shutting it down. They're really good together. They get the puck out of their end. I mean, it's classic hockey where the best defense is a good offense. You know, mm-hmm. win the puck back and get going in the other direction, and they can do that because I mean, Bouchard's just—he's an extraordinary puck mover. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, we've been watching this for some time now. I don't. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and know something bad to happen here and him to regress. And it probably will, right? He probably will have a defensive slump. But he's really playing well now. What's your second good thing, Bruce? Uh, well, i got to go with Connor McDavid. I thought he was fantastic for most of the part in this game. And unbelievable that it was first time he was held below two points all year. But I, to me, this was maybe his best game in the year so far. Agreed. Maybe maybe the hat trick game against Calgary, but I think tonight he was more consistently of a force. And in the third period, he threatened just to take over the game with. Uh, uh, I'm sure he had five shot. He had six shots in the third period, and I'm sure that five of them were from inside of ten feet. 
Like he was just surging right through the defense, a couple breakaways. He had that one sequence where he had the three jam plays from basically inside the blue paint. And he was, uh, he just couldn't solve Thatcher Demko, who is an excellent goalie. That guy's going to be giving us trouble for years. But uh, tonight, uh, Connor couldn't uh, uh, couldn't quite solve Demko, but he sure could solve the Canucks because he was getting behind them with uh, regularity and and, uh, uh, making things happen. There was also an amazing play where he intercepted a pass and every player in the league with a small number of exceptions would have had absolute tunnel vision for the net after the turnover. And he saw Yessa Pugliarvi over there and he pulled it back to him and Pugliarvi rang a shot, got a bullet one timer off, but uh, he had half the net to shoot at and he cut it too fine and rang it off the post. This was in the first period, but uh, oh, I missed that one. It was it was quite a uh, quite quite a sequence. Pugliarvi was mad at himself, and not without cause, because he really should have scored there. Like he did have a lot of net to shoot at, and he he cut it too fine. But uh, McDavid set him up as sweet as can be, and I just thought he skated well, and he uh, he made things uh, happen. Uh, he was strong in the faceoff dot, seven for eleven, sixty four percent. And he was um, uh, uh, a very strong performer, like Edmonton's leader in this game. Uh, even though I don't think he got, oh, he got named second star. There you go. The two goalies and him. So there you go. You're going to have to look at our scoring chance chart, Bruce, because on Pulley shot on the first there, you mm-hmm. don't have McDavid uh, making a major oh. contribution. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's uh, he most definitely did. And there was. At first, I was just trying to get the numbers of the guys who were taking. Sure, I'll the just shots. add that in there. So, you, yeah. so you do when you're doing your game grades, you get them as he had seven major contributions. Ninety-seven four pass. Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay. Definitely. All right. We like to tidy these things up because mm-hmm. we are obsessive. Oh, that's a mistake. Record me. keepers and completionists. It's something that Bruce and I have in common is the completionist streak. All right. Uh, my my next good thing is Cody Cece. And Bruce, I, I've i said this before, I came into the season with great trepidation. I've just been really pleasantly surprised by the guy's game. He um, He's not a perfect defenseman, but he's a pretty good top four D-man. I, that's what I'd say right now. That's, that's my impression of him after. This is seven games and a number of preseason games, so I've seen him in a decent run of games to have a, you know, I guess a solid first impression. You know, we'll be updating this as the year goes along, but he moves the puck well. He defends well. He's fairly physical. He doesn't make t- terrible mistakes that have me, well, I couldn't pull my hair out, but something like that. Bash my head against the wall, break a clipboard perhaps. <laughs> I'm not seeing that. I don't see that with CC. I like his game. I I do. That's as simple as that. I don't know if that's a popular or unpopular thing. I'm not really monitoring what other fans think of him or if there's a gang of people who hate him or or whatever, but I don't. Got a bad contract, David. That was decided the day he signed it. Oh, I got see. Got a bad contract, David. Well, that's my fear too, Bruce. I had the same fear, like honestly. But I, I'm not seeing like it's looking like. Hey, it looks like an this, NHL D-man to me. So, and again, um, we'll see how it goes. But yeah. the one thing I would add, and said this before too, but he is of that age, right? That that sweet spot, you know, 25, 26, 27. I think he's 27. Yep. where these guys often figure it out and they have two or three or four really good years. So maybe this is going to be it with CC. Maybe he's going to come through. I've liked him better than Duncan Keith. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I haven't hated Duncan Keith. I've been okay on Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. I think he's made too many defensive mistakes. I'm a little worried about him on defense. But I've liked CeCe better. I think he's the more solid of the two right now mm-hmm. because he plays a more better all-around game. And, um, yeah, good for him. Yeah, no argument on CeCe. He had a, he had a, uh, he had a solid game. And he was... Um, um, they got out Korski, but he, they did outshoot them. And I, and I really, well, if we're going to go on these on ice stats, I just like to pare away, pare it down to shots on like, sh- you know, where he outshot when he was on the ice or not. That's what, that's my preference if you're going to go. So he and Keith uh, outshot, I believe the opponents when they were on the ice, um, if I'm not mistaken about that. So, well, Keith blocked six shots. So that's yeah. going to take care of the Korski in a big hurry. You know, if the defenseman's making the saves before they even reach the goalie, then it's hard to dump too hard on the defenseman for getting out Korski'd. I really like Tippett's <laughs> comment about stats for one reason. I thought he made a really interesting comment that he considers, and I don't know like if he was exaggerating or not, but he considers 10 shots on game a turnover. And I really thought that was fascinating. And I, and I hope that a reporter picks that up. And explores that with them. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, what shots are you talking about? What kinds of shots? You know, what's the category? Because I think if we started to look hard for what he's talking about, we could start to identify it. But it's not something that I've heard before very much about shots on net. There's a lot of people who really, um, they love shots on net. I remember, you know, Babcock, you know, he was always wanting those shots on net. You know, he'd pass it, pass it around, pass it around, then pass it to the goalie is the way he put it, because there was going to be a rebound. So, that notion, though, that he, he Tippett seems to be seeing things a little bit differently and um, worth digging into to find out exactly what that is, what he's talking about. Do you have any theories what he's I've, talking about? I've heard coaches say that before, that a shot is, you know, you're giving up possession. If you, you know, yeah. you make a bunch of passes and you shoot the puck, you're giving up possession. I mean, maybe you get it back on the rebound or, you know, on the puck recovery and maybe you don't. And oftentimes, you know, a, a whole possession ends with a, with an unsuccessful shot on goal that then uh, pr- the pl- puck proceeds in the other direction. And of course, if it's a if it's a good shot, then it's worth it. But if it's a you know a shot that's not apt to beat an NHL goalie, I can understand why a coach would get frustrated with uh, with such shots. Just it's like when the Oilers have these great offensive zone sequences, and then let's 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 not pick on any player, but like Chris Russell um, takes a shot from outside, and it's a really weak shot. And you just think, why did you shoot? Nurse Dark, used to Nurse do used that to a lot. Bit a few years yeah. ago, like he'd be the last guy with the shot, and it would be like, why did you shoot? Like just keep it going. And I know like the temptation is there to shoot, and you're supposed to shoot, but you know that that's probably what he does. Mean I, I I that's one of these situations probably. Are we, we're on to bad things. What's your bad thing, yeah. Bruce? Uh, it's just a little thing, uh, really little tonight. Uh, it's so little, it weighs 153 pounds, but it's just one play uh, by the lightest oiler, Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, and it was, uh, who had a, he had an okay game. Yeah. Uh, but there was a play where Leon set him up and he had a quick opening to shoot the darn puck and he didn't shoot the darn puck. He held on to the puck, never did get a shot away. And in fact, he never had a shot attempt on net in the entire game. And it's a little bit, that was to me mindset. Like you got to be prepared for Leon to put the puck on your tape once in a while. And you got to be prepared to do something with the puck when you got it put on your tape by Leon. Because he usually finds you in a good spot, which he did on this play. 
And there was this little moment of hesitation and the gap closed just as quickly as it opened and it turned into nothing. And so my minor criticism, because I don't have a lot of bad things from that game, obviously, but my minor criticism is, uh, you know, bear down and, and make those, turn those looks into shots. And that was, that was be, just... Hmm. Go ahead, sorry. Just just the one play, and otherwise he didn't really get any looks. But that was the time he had, he had a, he had a look, and he just kind of froze, and it turned into nothing. Yeah, it's, it's it must just be eating him alive. You know, this player who has been a dynamic scorer at every level of hockey, including the NHL, in his first mm-hmm. year, and have another zero 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 night with um, zero shot attempts. Yeah, and he. He, you know, just two years ago, like Drysaddle was insisting that he play with Kyler Yamamoto. Like that was the bottom line. If he couldn't play with McDavid, he wanted to play with Yamamoto. And, and you could match. see such such magic there, and and it really was working. And Yamamoto has lost a little bit of offensive jam. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I really like him though, Bruce. I, and I know that he's getting a lot of criticism right now. He's like some people say replace him in the top top six. I really like his defensive game. I think Kyler Yamamoto is a, is a, is a stellar defensive hockey player. He's very smart, and he covers. Um, that's why he's on the PK. You know, you got a five six guy on the PK. He better he, he must have something going for him because it's not reach. And uh, I think he reads the game extremely well defensively, and um, that's one of the reasons probably Drysaddle likes to play with him. It's just he's a very dependable player in that regard. So. I have a little bit more time for Kyler Yamamoto on the top six, even when he's not scoring, because I do see him as a glue oh. player, right? This is what glue players do. They keep things going, and um, he does it. And let's not forget, he drew the penalty that led to the winning goal tonight, and he he does draw penalties. He takes penalties, but he draws more. And he just, because uh, he keeps his feet moving. He gets involved in the battle. He keeps his feet moving. And he does... You know, he often does get physically overpowered. And if he goes down, the arm is apt to go up. And tonight he took a high stick, if you can call call a stick, was it five, seven off the ice, a high stick. But he did get clubbed right in the side of the helmet, and the ref called it, and the power play executed. So you always got to give to me. The power play scores, one little bit of credit goes. In fact, we used to do this, credit the guy who drew the penalty. And but uh, it's kind of random because you know you draw yeah it's five random. penalties and one one power play goal gets scored but that's anyway he uh, he did do that so uh, he gets a plus mark for that. My bad thing, Bruce, is Koskinen's shutout evaporating with five seconds left in a, in quite oh. a weird play. You know, Vancouver had some great chances to score just before then. You know, one where Koskinen kind of lost the net a little bit and came sliding over and. Uh, made a you know a hail mary stop, and then another where he you know quite a spectacular save where he moved quickly. I think it was to stop Miller, if I'm not mistaken, a Miller blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so two fabulous saves. Um, Koskinen, the, the, the nine meter, the, the, the nine meter man, he had a good game. Obviously, he's a little awkward. <laughs> he's a little awkward in the net um, at times. On the wraparound, they're looking at the. They're looking at the wraparound for Miko. I think they're, they've figured out that that's something that you can work on this with this guy. And he's going to have to be aware of that because they almost got him a couple times. Anyway, he played he played a good game. He didn't 
there wasn't a ton of chances, but the ones that there were, he stopped. And Vancouver just constantly missed the net on their best chances. Like they just must be uh, breaking their own clipboards in the dressing room there, Bruce, uh, because of all their their shots. But you know, it's tough to lose that shutout. You're so close to it. It means a big a lot to a goalie, I believe. And and mm-hmm. the way they lost it, it, it the puck was leaving the Oilers zone, and all of a sudden it hits the back of I think a Canucks player's skate and just shoots right back into the slot area and everyone's abandoned because everyone think everybody thinks it's leaving the Oilers zone and it goes rocketing back into the slot and it's a three on one down low and it's just a bang bang well it's a bang it's kind of a slow bang as Besser sizes things up you know with Bouchard prone on the ice before him hoping maybe someone's going to come check uh, Besser never happens he must have had it for you know Two steamboats, three steamboats, and and he picked it. That's not a guy you want to have three steamboats with the puck in the slot area. I had long enough time. He had enough time with the puck for me to think, well, at least he's wasting time before he puts it in because they were really, you know, the clock was really down to its dying few breaths. But but Bouchard, he kind of just tried to get in the lane in front and uh, he wound up even looking away from the expecting a pass or something. And and, uh, Hyman, whatever reason he was sta- caught just standing still out at the blue line thinking yeah. the play was going the other way but he to me he needed to collapse back into the into the slot and he just never did and Besser absolutely labeled one top corner so if that had been a tying goal I would have been absolutely choked but because it only cost the goalie a shutout as a former member of the goaltenders union I'm only somewhat choked I mean you want to get the shutout for sure right yeah, goalie, and you played 59 minutes and 54 seconds or whatever shutout hockey. It kind of sucks to lose it at the at the very very end like that. Hockey happens fast. Hockey happens fast. And mm. uh, okay, what's your number? Yeah, well, my number is related to Mikko Koskinen, and it is 934. And that is his save percentage through five games. He came in partway through game number three. Uh, won it in relief, came in with the orders down, and uh, he did kind of the same thing that night. He stopped every shot, and then they got a two-goal lead late, and he let in the very last shot in the dying seconds to make it 6-5 against uh, Anaheim. Then he went on the road. He played well in Arizona, especially early when the orders uh, came out of the gate a little slow. He had a strong game in Vegas that they won 5-3. He had one bad game in Edmonton, and immediately the bandwagon jumping that was going on was just something fierce. It's like, you know, one bad game. It's like, oh, we can't win with this guy. There's no way, you know. And then tonight, uh, like a veteran cool pro that he is, he bounced back with a with a strong game and he made uh, the saves when they needed to be made and the one at the end that I mean, was a perfect shot. But the game was essentially over by then. Vancouver had scored on that six on four when they had two absolutely 11 bell chances and Koskinen stopped them both. If they score then, there's a minute and a half to go and they've made it 2 1 and now they're buzzing. Uh, you know, it gets like super tense at the end. And as it was, you know, it was a minor annoyance that they, that they scored. But the game, the outcome of the game was, I mean, they're never going to get two goals in five seconds at the end of a game. It's just not going to happen. So he, uh, to me, he's done the job. I mean, he's, 
he played well in four out of five games and he helped the team win each of the four games that he played well. And he was probably the reason they lost the one game he didn't play well. Well, four, one, you know, that's a, that's a decent ratio. I can take that. I think he's been good. He has been good. I'm just checking. Uh, Markstrom has a 957 oh, save percentage Markstrom. right now. And cost, he's had cost been in one goal in his last four games. Cost get a 934. <laughs> well, Nico's going to catch him. All right. Uh, my my number is third. Bruce, the Edmonton Oilers are tied for third in the NHL in safe percent, mm. winning percentage. Mm, winning okay. percentage. The Oilers have a 857 winning percentage. Only Carolina, undefeated Carolina. Um which is at a thousand in Florida, which has um, eight wins and one one loser Shoot point. Loss, eh? Yeah, um, they just lost their head coach, of of course. So the orders are third, Bruce, third in the league, and uh, that's ahead of the expectation of of anybody heading into the season. So that's a hell of a good start. That's who knows where they're going to be when when this all wraps up, but that's a hell of a good start, and it's great to see Edmonton and Calgary, honestly. Um, Calgary in first place, hey? Back to the 80s. You know, here we go. I sure didn't. I thought that team was, I thought that team was slow and uh, cumbersome, but uh, they're getting it done. 5 0 Eastern Road Trip. When only they win every game, they never trailed a game at any point. Yeah. Never once were even coming from behind. So they've got the old uh, Sutter magic working for them at this point and the Markster magic, more to the point. So if that guy gets hot, they could they could go on a roll for a while. I called them flames cumbersome, and then I thought, what does that mean? And then it, so I just looked it up: large or heavy, and therefore difficult to carry or use, unwieldy. And I was thinking of like Good Branson and Lucic Branson players, and Zadorov like, and, and yeah, uh, Lucic. <laughs> yes. It's working though. It's working. <laughs> Whatever they're doing's working. Maybe it's just Markstrom, who's also well, kind of cumbersome, but hmm. Koskinen is cumbersome. But he's, he got the job done tonight. So good for Miko. You know, lots of criticism of him, constant criticism of him, especially oh, like la- after last game, Bruce. Can't have one bad game. You can't have one bad game. Yeah, then it's just like, it was like Get the rid game. Of him. It's no good. He should whole never whole play for us again. I mean, I'm, not, I'm exaggerating, but not by much. He could have a whole throne of knives, like a, <laughs> the Iron Throne, <laughs> with the number of knives that were chucked at that guy. It was ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the winning goal the against I Philadelphia just, I, was bad, and, and wasn't it wasn't the only bad one, right? But yeah. he's a backup goalie. He's been thrust in since the starter got hurt, and he's played four and a half games, and he's got four wins. Yeah, it's contractitis, right? Some people can't get past the contract in rating the player. It's just yeah. it just colors their vision completely. Which I think is an unfair way. If you're trying to rate the true talent of hockey players, I mean, as a fan, it's fair to say that and feel that. I get it, but is it just if you're trying to be a fair evaluator of the player, it's not. That's not the way to do it. Forget the contract. Just watch. Yeah, I mean, it it is a. There is some legitimacy to it, but you can't just let it color every single thing. And so, say when the guy does play well, well, he should play well. He's getting paid to play well. (laughs) Oh, you let in a bad goal. He's overpaid. 
<laughs> you can't win, you right? Tell like I'm that, a member you know. of the goaltenders union. <laughs> yeah, but, but that it happens for any skaters player, right? too. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens a lot. So, fanitis, and it's certainly not limited to oil country. You hear the same thing in, in other markets, man. The people in Toronto that are absolutely shredding Mitch Marner. Oh man, that guy! You think he was the worst player in the history of the league? Like they're just all over the guy. And I mean, he's struggling. Well, I wonder why he's struggling, Toronto fans. Hello. Wonder if they'd have trouble moving that contract, Marner's contract. Or not. <laughs> that's a different just issue. And I mean, the con- that thats the same thing. They're weighing him against that contract, and they're not liking what they're seeing. Oh, so. geez. Yeah. He had, he had 67 points in 55 games last year. I mean, this he's is such an, the league. He he's such an elite scorer. He's such a fantastic player. Awesome. I, I wish the owners could afford him, but, you know, he is getting paid a lot. You know, one contract, you never hear people, or at least not me, maybe I blocked them all. You don't hear people complain about it anymore is Leon Dreisaitl's contract, which people bellyached about for years, loudly. And mm-hmm. that's one you don't hear people vetching about anymore. So good. He shot him up. Leon Dreisaitl shut up his critics. I think he did, Bruce. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Am I well, wrong? Some people, uh, there are still some who think they should have signed him for less at the oh. time they overpaid him. But yeah. uh, at the time, Shirelli saw him as a center and not a winger in the long term. And you know what? Peter Shirelli may well have been right with that assessment. Hard for us to admit that Peter Shirelli might have done something right. Yeah, he used to get credit for the cleft bomb contract, but that's kind of not so much anymore. But that can happen with any player that well, can get a terrible injury. And sure. Yeah, it is bad luck. But listen, the McDavid contract and the Drysaddle contract were two huge things that he secured for the Edmonton Oilers franchise. And he did it in part by by trading away the future for the present, by bringing in a player like Lucic, for instance, right? He was trying to trying to win in the short term. And they and they did win in the short term. And, the, and after they did that, those two players signed long term, which was a huge moment for the Oilers. So, you know, there was there was a little bit of method to the madness that, that he was employing. And it didn't work out in the end, that's for sure. But there was a couple good things that happened. Some good draft picks too, Bruce. Some good draft picks. Maybe I'll do a re- <laughs> re-evaluating the Peter Shirelli era. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. He he screwed up and uh, he he misjudged the NHL. He thought it was getting. He thought heavy hockey was here to last, and he blew it. Yeah, no, a, he, a lot more went wrong than right. But he wasn't like oh for everything. Like it wasn't like every single thing yeah. he did was terrible. He wasn't. Happy sometimes Freya. the narratives when people turn on a on a guy, be it a player or manager or whatever, it's all of a sudden nothing they can do will satisfy. So yeah. All right, let's leave it there. You got some work ahead of you, so I'll let I you do. get at it. Player grades to go. Hoping maybe the aura will kick up later tonight, and I'll get a chance to see it late. But I got some work to do first, so better get at it. Thanks for talking, Bruce. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>